Welcome to Tucson New Thought. I'm going to start off by talking about what I've decided. Actually, it's, it, you know, yeah. I want to start by talking about what I decided this month's theme was going to be, which is the still small voice. And I had all of these ideas about what that could mean, what it brought up for me in my conception of what this month could be about. And of course, I chose that. You know, I chose a lot of these themes back in January, but actually back in December when I was starting to put the, the, the year together for what my messages in ministry were going to be. Now, much to the chagrin of many, uh, many centers and churches that I've been the minister, the lead minister for, um, I don't usually like plan that much in advance. I don't plan themes that far in advance typically. I don't, <laughs> I don't plan my talk titles that far in advance. And, and for some reason this past, uh, this past year, I thought, oh, I want to get ahead of the game in 2020. I'm going to cast that vision since 2020 vision, right? I want to cast that vision and allow myself to see what flows through. And so many months ago, I thought that the theme for May was going to be that still, the still small voice. And what that brings up for me is I talk frequently about the need and the capacity to listen. Now, the song itself, the song, A Quiet Thing, is evocative of that deeper understanding, you know, that we always look, I think so many of us look for, oh, things are going to be great and big, and when the change happens, it's going to be this massive experience, and it's not always like that. It's so frequently, it's just a quiet thing. If we um, go back and we really think about what it is, do we have the capacity to truly listen to understand when the change has taken place. It's a quiet thing. Are we missing the subtleties of life? Are we missing the subtlety of things? You know, I think in using the creative principle, again, I'll talk about the spiritual principle, that creative nature within each and every one of us, the spiritual principle being we are spiritual beings living in a spiritual universe governed by our use of a spiritual law, the law of cause and effect. And we are, we are taught within these churches and within these centers that are rooted in the new thought philosophy that, yes, when we change our mind, we change our lives. When we change our belief, we change our lives. And we're always, I think, so many of us out there looking for the proof that our lives are changed and that it's going to be very obvious when it happens. But what if it isn't? What if it isn't obvious in the world of form when that change happens? Can we be okay with that? Is that a potential? Is that a possibility for us? Now, I'm having a different experience of this thing called the Sunday virtual celebration. And we're all having, well, let's face it, we're all having a very different experience for this last, uh, for these last many weeks of the Sunday virtual celebration because it is virtual, right? And we're not in the room together, although I do have a few people in the room here today. We're not all in the room together. And I come from a theatrical background. My 
I have a degree in acting and directing, and I was a musical theater actor for a long time, so you know what? My tendency in this is to be a bit showy. I'm not a minister who stands behind a lectern. I'm a minister who gets out there and I move around and I'm active and I'm, and I'm loud. Yes, I am loud. And I am uh, enthusiastic. I come with a lot of gregarious energy to this thing called ministry. You know, it's a bold style that not every minister has. And, 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 and I want to be very clear. Every minister's approach to ministry is absolutely right. It is absolutely perfect. Find what works. I always say technique is anything that works. Find what works for you. But I have this idea um, of approaching ministry with this notion, that we are here to be enlightened through entertainment. That that is an absolutely valid point of view. Enlightenment through entertainment. So I like to try to be entertaining. And I bring the skill of of my musical theater background to be able to do that. But one thing I was reflecting on when I was preparing today's message is that kind of gregarious outward nature surprisingly is the public behavior for a lot of introverts, because a lot of people will not believe that I am very much an introvert. They think, oh, you're so gregarious on stage. Oh, look how, you know, but I'm actually very much an introvert. And what that means is that I require time alone. I require the experience of a quiet thing to find my connection and to recharge my batteries. Spiritual expression, the experience of spirituality, is not only found by, you know, going into a lotus position on mountaintops. (laughs) It's in this. It's in this. Everything is spiritual. Everything. If we make that claim within the divine principle that we are spiritual beings living in a spiritual universe governed by our use of that spiritual law of cause and effect, then there is nothing that is not spiritual. The good, what we perceive as the bad, all of it, it's all spiritual. And our work within this is to allow ourselves sometimes to step back into that quiet space and deeply understand our relationship to the experiences we are having. And if we do not like that relationship, we are the ones who get to change that relationship. And when we change the relationship, then the experience changes. The past doesn't change, but the forward momentum changes. The tendency of our path changes. So, I want to be clear, retreating to a mountaintop, any place of solitude, whatever that is for you, it's valid. And so are those jubilant dives into the experience and expression of life, into those loud and bold moments. I don't want to limit my experience of life. That's for me personally. I don't want to limit my experience of life based on a notion of what it is to be spiritual. And so I have broken down the walls. Uh, You know, that's why I keep saying, I am one of those spirits in rebellion. I am one of those spirits in rebellion. And it is my desire to shake things up because it's in the shakeup that, oh, we can knock off the old things that no longer serve us and we can welcome in the new. Now, with all of that said, I have found that so many of those greatest shifts in my life are often subtle. So I want to tell you a little bit about myself. You know, there are many people in, in uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the us and them 
thing that, that, that does still happen right here and right now. We have an us versus them thing happening. We have the unity of Tucson community and we have the Tucson New Thought community, right? And let's just acknowledge the fact that there is still a bit of an us and them. And part of that is because we've not been able to meet in person to really unify as a, fam as a family. And so there are gonna be people, at, and the only reason I bring it up is to say, people at Tucson New Thought may have heard some of this before. <laughs> but I'm gonna talk about June of 1991. June of 1991 was the summer, it was that summer that I came out of the closet. I had just graduated from high school and it was like two weeks later, hello world, I'm gay, <gasps> what? And I went through a period of deeply diving into this, 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 this question, who am I? And I went through quite a journey. Now this is the part I will tell you, everyone at Unity of Tucson and Tucson New Thought is probably hearing this for the first time. And I, I <laughs> it's all good. Because um, you know the funny thing is I'm having this experience right in front of you now, because I'm like, to what degree am I holding on to any experience of embarrassment about this? I don't need to be embarrassed about this, no. So one of the things that I did it, when I first came out of the closet, I was 18 years old, June of 1991, is I had this notion of what it meant to be gay. And part of that notion was, well, I, my perception is that gay guys do drag. So I actually, <laughs> I actually decided that I was gonna try out drag. And I came up with this entire persona of myself in drag. And I'm not showing anybody any pictures. I just want to be very clear. Those pictures have all gone by the wayside. But I, was, uh, I, I did the drag thing for a long time. And that was part of my exploration of deeply trying to understand, who am I in this thing? Now, that came, that went. And then I launched into like, oh, you know, and it's, it's still very prevalent now. It was prevalent back then. But then I launched into like being the gym gay, right? The gym bunny gay. All the while, I'm looking at all of these stereotypes that I have seen in culture around what it means to be gay and how you are supposed to be to be gay. And it was exhausting. It was absolutely exhausting trying to wrench myself into all of these little, you know, niches. I did that for a long time. I did it throughout my entire first year of college. And um, the, the summer of 92, I found myself unexpectedly sort of on a mountaintop. I found myself in a place where I could go into a deeper discovery of myself. And, oh, I learned so much. So that summer of 92, after I'd gone through this whole year of trying to figure out where I fit in in all these places, that summer of 92, um, I took a trip and I was living in, a, I was living in south, southwestern Colorado, right outside of Cortez, Colorado. And I was living on an archeological dig. I was there with a, another person uh, who, had arranged for his organization to live on site at this dig site with another archeological company. And he served essentially as the uh, security for the site for the summer while they would dig. Now, I was able to engage and go be one of the security people on this site. So I literally lived in a tent for about three and a half months 
out in the wilds of southern southwestern Colorado. Uh, the site was, uh, was at the head of a canyon called Sand Canyon, and there were Anasazi uh, ruins there that were being dug. So we lived on site full time, and the archaeologists would drive in, and they would go, and they would do their digging, and then they would drive out every day. But we lived there full time. It was a magnificent, magnificent experience. Um, at that time, I was an avid journaler, and so I have journals from that entire summer, and I would go and I would write every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. I was an avid journaler then, much more so than now, because I think what's happened is social media has become a journal of sorts because I kind of put my thoughts out in that sort of public way, and I don't keep written journals as much anymore, but it does, having gone back and reviewed this journal, uh, it makes me think I would like to get back into that practice. So I had recently, um, I recently went back and looked at the journal from that period of my life, and the guy I was there with, his name was Roger. The guy I was there with, uh, this is what I wrote about it. I said, we discussed identity and the role of identity in society and how that is the way we reflect who we are. So I was very clearly going through this identity issue still. And I, I'm so grateful for my friend Roger because he really guided me to a deeper understanding. I wrote this as well. It is important to know that we mustn't be tied down to an identity. If we are tied to an identity, it only limits our constantly changing self. I didn't know it back then, but I was a minister back then. It would not be until many years later <laughs> that I landed in this role. I realized that in that summer, I realized that summer, that in me, the core of who I am was the soul of the whole. It was a quiet thing. It was an experience of sitting on those sandstone bluffs and looking out over the horizon with all the sagebrush and the cedar. It was the first time I really stepped back and I said, this stuff out here doesn't matter. What matters is deeply recognizing this. Who I was did not have to be defined by anything outside the self. Who I was, how I, ch how I choose to express myself. What I discovered is that it was all valid and good. So all the journey that I went through to get there, the drag, the gym, the this, the that, the other, the niches that I was trying to find myself uh, an identity within, that was all good because it led me to that moment of saying, irrespective of all the stuff out there, I am the soul of the whole right here. And that is what became important to me. So it took perhaps, it took perhaps that time to be with that still, small voice. It was a quiet thing. There were no exploding fireworks that change, that deepest understanding came in on tiptoe. 
and it took another 14 years. It was 14 years, if I do the math, 92 to 2006, 14 years to be concretized in my life because that's when I found myself in a New Thought uh, church, and it was like, this is what I've always believed. And that's when the light came on in many ways to what the next step of my experience of life would be. And within that, like, you know, from that time of 92 to 2006, there were lots of hard lessons that I learned in that time. You know, I finished university, and then I went to New York and had a really hard time living in New York, and then I went to L.A., and L.A. was quite successful. Um, You know, I mean, professionally, I had a lot of success in these places, but personally, I had a lot of struggle. When I got to LA, that's when I discovered the New Thought philosophy, and it was like that breath of fresh air. But I want to tell you about another part of, I don't know why I'm doing this. Actually, I know why I'm doing this. I want to tell you another part about that journal uh, that I wrote. And it was uh, Akagarasu Haya, was a Buddhist writer, a poet, and I had taken the time to sit down and write out an entire poem that had uh, been presented to me by, by my friend Roger. I put the entire poem in my journal. It was that important to me. Now, each the poem was called, get this, ready? Who am I? <laughs> that was the name of the poem. And each stanza focused on some expression of form. Uh, and each stanza basically said, said, it was along the lines of this. My experience is experience. It is never myself. I had thought that experience is myself, but now I am aware I made a terrible mistake. And then it would go on, hey, my will is will. It is never myself. I had thought that my will is myself, and it would go on. My wishes are my wishes. They are never myself. I had thought my wishes are myself. My deeds are my deeds. And it went through, I mean, many, many stanzas of all these ideas in the world of form. It kept going and kept going and kept going. And then it gets to this point in the poem, and it asks the question, but then who am I? I I manifest myself through these things. I alone am the most noble. I embrace the cosmos. What an incredible, subtle existence I am. So moved by this poem, and it was so reflective of what was really going on for me. And then here's the irony. The next several journal entries are all rooted in the life challenges, all that stuff in the world of form that I perceived I was having. And I think we can safely say we go on this journey. It's okay to be on this journey because all of it is valid. No one can find God for us. No one can find God for us. Each individual must do this for themselves. We cannot find God outside the self because we cannot go outside the self. I had this notion, and it's one of the things I wrote about when I was in ministerial studies, that, you know, we have this idea, many of us growing up, of God as this thing, and we go on this search for God. And what I came up with in ministerial is that if I am looking out there for God, I will never find God in a limited view because I have to widen my view to understand that God is all things. 
But the further I go to the further reaches of the universe that I look and I look and I look, I will never see the end of it. I will never understand the infinite nature of God. And if I turn that around and I look to that which is within, I can go to the molecular, the atomic, the subatomic level. We have the capacity to look within and look without. And no matter which direction we are looking in, we will never find God. Because what it is to know God is to step back and recognize that it is the wholeness of which we are a part, absolutely. We cannot find God outside the self because we cannot go outside the self. There is no place where we begin and God leaves off. We can only find God in all of it. Now, I have come here to this plane of action, and I have taken into my heart the notion that it is important that part of my work in ministry is, for, uh, is to be able to step up and let people know that they can stand and claim, I am God. Each and every one of us should claim, I am God. It is not at the... It's not to exclude anyone else because here's what I understand that to mean. It is the great equalizer that when I stand up and I say, I am God, that when I see the faces of every single person around me, I know the truth of each and every one of them that we are all part of this infinite divine flow. And boy, when we come into that place of cooperation and flow, life is gonna get better. The only thing that is mucking it all up right now for me is competition, the notion that competition has to be a thing. It's part of our culture right now. But I hold firm in the truth that cooperation will change this world. So I want to ask, and this is a rhetorical question. It's a lot easier for it to be a rhetorical question when it's virtual because you're not in the room to yell answers back at me. Of course, Patty's over there. She might yell an answer back at me. <laughs> but I want to ask, what does, it really mean? what does it really mean to you? What is the feeling that comes up for you when you step up and make, make the exclamation, I am God? What does that bring up for you? Here's another question. Are you at the point in your experience of life where you can stand up and say, I am God? Are you able to do that? Yes, that's good for many. Even in New Thought philosophy, the notion of God outside the self brings comfort. So they're not ready to go to that place of saying, I am God, because it helps to say, I am nurtured by this thing outside the self. When we perceive it as nurturing, the receptive, that, 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 that this nurturing thing is, is receptive to our desires and requirements. When we perceive that thing out there as being, holding us, right? When we understand that, it is sometimes okay to understand and step back and say, I am nurtured by God. I talk to God when it suits my needs. But I am also rooted in the notion that talking to God is a degree of talking as God. And that is the root of my consciousness. When I speak to, I am speaking as, because if I truly embrace the notion that there is no separation, 
that I am the soul of the whole, then how can I ever speak anything other than as God? And it took time to get there. Because I'll tell you, even that kid, that, that how old was I? In 2000, that 19-year-old kid on that journey in southwestern Colorado was not there yet. There was still a perception that God was something out there and that I was somehow separate from it. It took time to get there. For many of us, for many of us, it takes time. And it takes many queries into that question, who am I? So I ask Who are you? Are you rooted in the notion of being? Being an intelligent life principle, which is what God is. God is not a being. God is the beingness of experience of life. It is the intelligent life principle, which is the core of everything. That intelligent life principle, the core, the nature of God, spirit, it is who and what we are. Intelligent meaning having the ability to acquire and apply knowledge. Very important that we understand that to be intelligent means that we are going to apply knowledge. Intelligent life, the inner something that animates all things. That's what life is. The inner something that animates all things, that life energy, that flow. It is who and what we are. The intelligent life principle, a truth which is unchangeable is what a principle is. A truth which is unchangeable. The soul of the whole, the core of who we are. The answer to the question, who am I? Based on that idea, the intelligent life principle and those definitions, here's what I've come up with. I am an animated inner changeless truth that has the ability to acquire and apply knowledge in my life. And I choose to nurture that notion of God as me. Do you have the willingness to nurture the notion of God as you? You are that application of the divine. You know, that idea that it has to be applied. You are the application of the divine, and you get to utilize this divine power and apply it to your own life. Everything about you is God energy, the application of love and light. It is your natural state of being found in both the subtle and bold ways that you experience and express life. Celebrate this good. Celebrate this good. Make the decision right here in this moment. I am choosing to be right in front of you, to make this decision right in this moment. And in this moment. And in this moment to live the truth. You see what I'm doing there? Because every moment is just that moment and it's then past. So every moment is an opportunity to choose to live the truth. Happiness comes in on tiptoe, the, lo- the song says. Well, what do you know? It's a quiet thing. Be willing to state the truth. Starting with, I am God recognizing that I am and whatever follows it becomes your reality. I alone am the the most noble. I embrace the cosmos. What an incredible, subtle experience I am. The truth of you, the soul of the whole, in its subtlety, It's a quiet thing. Namaste. 
Hello, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of My Sunday Message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, www.tucsonnewthought.org. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.